Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. What up, Nerd Nation? Steve here from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, or DNA for short, your go-to podcast for all things nerd culture. You want to know fun facts about the latest movies? Done. Interested in a new hobby? We've got you. Have questions and want to hear from the experts? Say no more. Join me and my crew every week to hear about our latest takes on everything nerdy and go on a few tangents on the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, where we know it's not just a hobby, it's hereditary. All right. Welcome, everybody, to tonight's episode. Really excited to go ahead and have tonight's guest in-house tonight to go ahead and talk about some new STA products that have come out in the last couple of months. But before we introduce uh, Mr. Johnson tonight, uh, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening. Nice to see you all. It seems like so long since we've uh, since we've been in studio together. Uh, hasn't really I, been long at all, though. I, 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 yeah. Like 45 it, minutes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually did not leave my chair. <laughs> is that mostly because once you get crammed into it it's tough for you to go ahead and re- reshape your room needs to i have out. movable <laughs> arms movable arms i can shimmy out yep. no yep. yeah actually i was working on star trek stuff our actual play game one of our cast members is building us built a supporting character and it's a particular race it's a little harder to find tokens so i was using a couple tricks and techniques i picked up to make an Aryan that or that'll work really well for him put him in starfleet uniform and that so we have nice our one. new head of our science department on the Delamas christian yep. picture character sheet ready yep. to go who is un- unfortunately at the and I, I think that this episode will have aired by the time this episode comes out but unfortunately right now has found himself uh, trapped inside of an asteroid by the Breens. Because uh, Captain Tobor, very uh, capably, actually, I thought, on the episode, very smartly, when I pulled that big reversal and the crew had to go ahead and get themselves onto the runabout, rather, he instead threw his backup character instead of himself, so he could continue <laughs> to go ahead and captain the boat. Yeah. Like, Which made a, sense. They're not going to send yeah. the captain and the first officer away from It's the totally boat. true. Like, uh, and that was, and that, that's one of the great things about- because it still happens. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things about, that's great about the reversal system, is that all I have to do is call that it happens. Then he has to go ahead and decide- how the magic works. And that was a fantastic way of using using his backup character to go ahead and introduce there. And then I yeah. promptly kidnapped and, him and threw him in an asteroid. So, and what a great mechanic having those the supporting character elements available so you can make do things as a player that makes narrative sense and still have that play out in the game as a player, still get to play, but you don't have to do something crazy and out of line yeah. to make that work. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things about the game. There's always yeah, a way absolutely. to make the narrative sing, and the mechanics continue to support that. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing with that metric, too. Right now, I'm still getting a feel for and a handle on Lieutenant Camdrill Najar, but another session or two, and I think I'm going to be ready to build a subordinate character. So I've got nice. an alternate persona for some scenes, too. It should be a good time. Cool. 
Excellent. I think one of the coolest things about the supporting characters, when you've got a a cast that is primarily your bridge crew or your senior officers, it's a great lead into lower decks because that's a great way for those lower deck characters to come in, start them out as your supporting characters and maybe build them out from there and play them out and then have them do things and hit their milestones as they go. And you can have that duality within your own crew. What a fantastic lead in Liwinika. It's almost as if we have decided to go ahead and bring one of the kind of guiding voices of the modern Star Trek Adventures game from Modiphius. Mr. Jim Johnson is in-house to go ahead and talk about the new Lower Decks book and Captain's Log. I think it's only proper that we introduce Jim Johnson the proper way. So I'd like to introduce everybody to Jim Johnson. Michael is going to love you for that. Michael and Luminique are like the same person. So Nobody's yeah. ever seen us in the same place at the same time. That's uh-huh. what I'm saying. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll have to work on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Prove it wrong. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Michael Dismuke and I, we co-host a podcast called uh, Continuing Conversations, which is all about Star Trek Adventures. And that's his little, uh, he's developed that little moniker way of introducing me to the Jim Johnson. And uh, apparently his nephew is all over it and constantly talks about it. So, oh, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. And thank you all so much, Glenn and Lou and, and Josh. Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Super excited to be here to talk about Star Trek Adventures and Lower Decks and Captain's Log. For your audience, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG and the Captain's Log solo RPG, both published by Modifius Entertainment. Yeah. Excellent. So you already took my first question out. I was going to go ahead and say for people living under a rock, who are you kind of thing? Why are you here? <laughs> you really uh, have to dig deeper into your rapid fire. I know. We'll have, to, we'll have to dig deeper. Normally, Jim, when we have interviews and we begin peppering you with questions, we'll roll initiative to go ahead and see who gets to go ahead and go first. But uh, <laughs> but since this is an SDA, that, that, that doesn't really qualify. Uh, yeah. So I've been talking an awful lot. Monika, I think you get to go next. Yeah, what are you I, talking I guess, about? I'm going to spend a momentum to keep the initiative on my side. Yes, there you go. There you go. That's what I was waiting for. That's Take it, Glenn. Take it. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to jump in with the first question since we're not using the initiative system. See, y'all taught me how to. Good. So <laughs> my question for you is because I'm fascinated by the concept of lower decks. Now, as a Star Trek fan who's getting heavily back into the not just the show, but also the game now because of the direction that Tabletop Journeys has been going with Star Trek Adventures, which has been phenomenal. I haven't seen the show Lower Decks. I've heard Mm -hmm. about it, but I have cracked the book and I've gone through some of it. So for Star Trek fans out there who have already been playing STA, who will probably have seen the show, though admittedly that's a failing on my part. Currently, the wife and I have two episodes left of Picard. What can I expect as a player, because I'm deep into playing in our Star Trek Preservations game now. What can I expect as a player to be different going from a standard Star Trek Adventures game into the Lower Decks setting with and play style with this new book that y'all have just put out? Yeah, that's a great question, Glenn. So the Lower Decks book, while we went with the art style and the design of the series, of course, because that's what's on the show right now, we wanted to tap into those characters and into that look and feel. If you've watched any Star Trek, like whether it's Lower Decks or original series or next gen, any series, you're going to see Lower Decks characters on there. They may not be the focus of the episodes, but those characters that are in the background doing tasks or they're walking through the halls past the main characters as the main characters are delivering their dialogue, right? There's always stuff going on in the background or on the sides in all the different TV series and shows. And those are all lower deckers doing the lower deck job as they're working on developing their career and developing their skill sets to eventually become the main characters in their own stories. And there's actually a couple of great examples of lower decks shows that we've seen. There was, of course, the episode titled Lower Decks on Next Gen ages ago. And then Tuvok had a couple episodes on Voyager where he was training up junior officers junior maquis and junior starfleet officers that kind of gave you a feel for that lower decks experience right so i think if you're cracking open the book and you haven't read you haven't watched any lower decks there's still going to be a wealth of star trek material in there for you to play a junior officer either like fresh out of the academy or maybe you're an officer who's transferred into the into starfleet kind of like what Riker did in that one episode where he was on the klingon ship for a while and they brought on a klingon to transfer over for a little while so there's a lot of stuff in the book that is really going to benefit you to play a junior officer as opposed to a bridge officer, like a main chief of, chief engineer, chief of security, whatever. Instead of playing that kind of a character, you're playing, not to say Wesley, but like a younger officer who is just starting their career, start still learning the ropes, looking to prove themselves maybe. 
So it's a different it's a different focus of a campaign because instead of being the ones making all the big decisions, you're being sometimes the support people. You still get into plenty of hijinks and, and stories, right? Because the stories are focused on you and what you're doing. So it's just a different experience, I think, but it's still very much Star Trek through and through. I really love the concept of seeing the stories that would take place with the lower deckers. And I can't see through the big command screen on the front of the ship to know what they're actually doing. They're just running around trying to keep the place from exploding. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by the lower decks experience. And part of that is my military experience. I never was a master sergeant. I never got to any great officer ranks. I was a private. I was in the army for eight years and I was a private the entire time. And that was fine by me because I enjoyed my time. I did the job that that was asked of me to the best of my ability. And I think I was pretty good at it as a matter of fact. And I love that experience, ground level experience in my games. My favorite tier of play in other TTRPGs tends to be tier one, tier two. Those levels are where I think I'm at my best as a player and I enjoy the games the most as a player. As a storyteller, that's actually where I have the most amount of fun, though I have fun at other tiers. Taking that to Star Trek, where it's not a tiered game or there isn't that leveling kind of thing, it's all about story. It's like, what stories do you want to tell? And there are Mm -hmm. some stories that work on that high level where bridge officers We are admirals, we are diplomats making treaties and sharing the world, or there are just as many great adventures that are as simple as, I inspired a couple kids to join Starfleet while sitting at a booth on some (laughs) back alley planet, Mm -hmm. and it was a task I was assigned because I goofed off a little bit and fell asleep when I was supposed to be in formation. I love that kind of story, that kind of interlude. I think that works really well, and I really look forward to being able to play with those types of elements. And it really, as a storyteller, gives me the ability to make really meaningful lower decks NPCs. I've always had a good idea, but now I have a good idea, several templates and different techniques that I can use to really fill in the life of a starship really well or the life of a space station or a colony really well. And that's what I really look forward to. Yeah, and that's a great that's a great point you brought up, Lou and Nika, is that the in Star Trek Adventures, like every main character is effectively the same power level. There's not, if you're playing a lower decks character, they're not less capable. They don't have fewer points to spend. They still have the same point system. They still have the same number of talents, the same number of focuses, the same abilities. So if you look at them mechanically, the lower decks character is, I don't want to say identical, but they have the same power level as like a a full main character as a senior officer. But the only, the big difference is the stories that you're telling, right? If you were to look at the statistics for like Boimler or or, or Tendi or Mariner, they're the same as the captain and Shax and everybody else. It's just the focus of the story. And it sounds like you're vibing right on that is like, you're just excited about the different kinds of stories you can tell, even though your characters are not tiered in a, in capability wise, you're not a lower decks officer waiting for your next feat bonus or, or next perk at your next level or whatever. You're just telling different kinds of stories. So I'm glad you picked up on that. That's really cool. So I was really hoping you'd share with us because I know you've spoken about it on continuing missions. You've talked about it on the Facebook group, Star Trek Adventures, which I invite anybody within the sound of my voice to sign up, go listen. By the way, there are questions. Please answer those. Then you'll be able to join that group. If you're looking at playing this game and you have any questions about the game, that group is amazing. They are so giving and so free with information and tips and just attaboys and congratulations on games we'll play or Mm -hmm. games about to be well played that it's unlike any ttrpg community i've ever been a part of before really strong i was hoping you could expand for our audience on the elements that are not specific to the lower deck show because i didn't realize until i was reading this book and actually heard some of your comments elsewhere that you've done a really good job since you came on as line editor low those many years ago yeah i stole that from you i'm sorry that's all right But, uh, but you've done a really good job of advancing the knowledge base about the Star Trek universe, about the galaxy, both the mm-hmm. all the different quadrants, but you've just advanced the knowledge. So like in this book, in addition to the things that are specific to Lower Decks and give you all these ideas about the show, you take a lot of page space 
to get people caught up to where the world is in the shows at the time of Lower Decks. So from where DS9 left off to now, you covered some of that ground, and I'd love for you to talk about that, talk about some of the ideas, like where the idea came from and how you got that all pulled together to put it in such a great format. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I don't think I've been shy about this on the different shows that I've done is that I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan. And I'm also I've also been role playing Star Trek for 30 mumble years, even before Last Unicorn Games came out before Decipher came out. I think I got I cut my teeth on Star Trek role playing when FASA came out. I guess it must have been like 83 or 84 when that first set came out with the blue books, the little blue books that were in the box. And uh, like my friends and I, we just we were all over that and and we were playing it. And then gradually, as we started playing it more, we were like, this isn't working for us. We want it to be more like faster and more narrative. And so we started kludging our own rules onto FASA for a while there. The point, though, is that having been a lifelong Star Trek fan and a lifelong Star Trek gamer, like I have a really good feel for what I want in a Star Trek game and what I want at my table for my players to, to play with and enjoy. And I've discovered over the years that as a role player, I need a depth of information about the setting that I can't find in a lot of nonfiction books. There's just a huge wealth of Star Trek nonfiction out there these days. Right? You got the technical manuals, you got the encyclopedias, the chronology, all those awesome Starship books that Hero Collector and Eagle Moss make. There's just so much great Star Trek nonfiction out there. But a lot of them still don't go into the depth of detail into either the setting or like how Starfleet works. Like you get into the weeds a little bit about like how Starfleet operates and like how does the Judge Advocate General work? How does the Section 31 work? All this kind of stuff. And like you get hints of it on the shows. And what I figured out is once I became line editor and then project manager, I was like, you know what? We have an opportunity here with the RPG to really provide a lot of connective tissue for gamers and players and game masters for the discovery book. When I was writing out the outline for that, I was really clear to the writers. I said, look, what I want to do with this book is I want to bridge everything we know about Enterprise through that whole chunk of time between Enterprise and the start of Discovery Season 1, because that's like 70, 80 years. We couldn't spend a huge amount of time on it because we didn't have the page count. When we did that State of the Galaxy section, I was like, let's show the game masters and the players, how did we get from Enterprise to the start of Discovery, and then how did Discovery Seasons 1 and 2 set up Strange New Worlds and then what we see in in the original series, right? Because there's some weirdness in there if you just look at them separately. You're like, how did we get from the slick Discovery-looking feel to original series, of course, you, you accept that it was made 50 years ago and the technology just wasn't where it is now, right? But just like story-wise, Star Trek is amazing because after 56 years, they've maintained a, an amazing level of continuity from series to series. And they've managed to stitch together this whole tapestry of story and consistency from beginning to end. And uh, as a game master and a player, like I want more understanding of how all that works because I, if I wanted to run... Or if I wanted to run a campaign in 2220, right, as the Federation is growing and building, but we haven't gotten to that, that chunk of discovery yet, what can I do? How, where am I going to find that information? Because there is no book out there that has that kind of information in it because they just haven't discovered it in canon yet. And so I knew that there was an opportunity with the RPG to do something like that. And so I've really been trying to fold that into all of our books, just finding ways to make that work. And that's what we did with Lower Decks is most of our books, we got up to about the end of Nemesis. And then we were doing other stuff like for Discovery and other books. And I was like, okay, now Lower Decks has come out. We have the Lower Decks license. We can do something with it. Hey, look at this. We've got a chunk of time between 2379 and Genesis and 2381-82 where Lower Decks kicks off. And then now we've also been watching Picard, right? So now we see what's coming for Lower Decks. Like after Lower Decks, you get into the Mars attack and then you get into all the shenanigans with Picard that we see. And so like now we've got an extra 30 years of canonical time that we can play with a lot of it still hasn't been explored but if you watch the shows carefully and you study it and you get the writers to help collectively we're stronger collectively than we are individually so like i can make an outline but i always encourage my writers come in tell me what i'm missing and help me fill in the blanks here and get creative and that's what i'm hiring them to do is be creative (laughs) yeah Uh, but long long long-winded answer here is to say we have the opportunity with the rpg to add a lot of connective tissue and context connecting the dots between series and movies in a way that a lot of other books can't do. And we're still not even like adding stuff. Like we're not making up stuff whole cloth and just throwing it in there. 
we're still adhering pretty tightly to canon. We'll drop in some Easter eggs from novels and comic books and that kind of stuff because we can do that. But we've tried to stay really true to the source material. And I think that was really a, a, an intentional decision on our part because we want to give players and game masters a consistent baseline. Like, here's canon, plus a little bit of extrapolation that, that makes it all fit together. And now, if you want to embellish on it, go for it. You, you're all working from the same baseline, but now you can do whatever the heck you want. If you want to go explore the Lost Era, we'll give you some ideas about what was probably happening during the Lost Era. But now you go off and go do your own thing. But I just I feel like the RPG is uniquely, and not just Star Trek Adventures, I think Decipher and Last Unicorn Games did this to some extent as well. I, th- I think they were a little bit more free with their ability to just make up stuff and add it in. It was a different time 20-odd years ago. But I think the RPG just gives us an opportunity to add a lot more background and depth and context, put put a lens on it in a way that maybe game masters and players aren't necessarily thinking about. And then they may read the book and go, oh, I didn't think of that. Or here's a plot hook that I didn't even consider. Or maybe there's just like a plot hook will drop in there and they may have forgotten about that little one-off dialogue reference in an episode and you can just take a whole series off of that one little piece of it so i think it's just really fun to be able to be in a position where we can add a lot of depth to the whole universe and just give game masters and players just a load of options to do something cool with that's what we're really trying to do is just make really cool toolkits you know if you're gonna go off with long-winded answers like that that are that (laughs) awesome please feel free to do that the entire like this you're making our job easy this is awesome whatever you want yeah 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 sorry no no do not apologize if it's gonna be that good keep going (laughs) no apologies accepted my friend no apologies accepted let me get to the second piece of your question then luanika is that is so that's all about the timeline and just connecting the dots between the series right the second piece of your question was like, how do we do that with Starfleet? So Starfleet is an entity that we've seen on the show consistently. And we, I think if you've watched enough of the series, you have a pretty good feel for how Starfleet works. But as a game master, and especially as a player, like, I need, and maybe it's the method actor in me, I don't know. But like, if I'm getting into a character, if I create a character for my game, and I really want to get into that character, and I want to be writing short stories about that character, e- even before Captain's Log came out, I, I always write short stories about my character. I write scenes, I write vignettes, just to get my head into this character and what makes them tick and what makes them interesting. So that when I come to the game table with my friends, I've got a more fully realized character in my head, right? This is me. This isn't how you have to play the game. It's just how I do it, because I just I'm all over this kind of stuff. But it really helps me to understand how things work, even if it never shows up in the game. At least in my head, I know how it works. And fortunately, Starfleet, Roddenberry based Starfleet very much on the on, on the U.S. Navy. So like all those concepts from naval tradition and how the Navy operates ports really nicely straight into Starfleet. You got the Judge Advocate General, you've got court marshals, you've got all that like modern military stuff folds in really nicely into Starfleet, even though Starfleet is not a military in the strict traditional sense. It's more than that. So with the Lower Decks book, I was was working with the writers and I was like, look, this is an opportunity for us to really do a deep dive into a part of Starfleet that just really hasn't been written about a lot in nonfiction. And that's the whole support operations angle of things. You got Picard and the line ships going off doing the frontline stuff. They're doing the first contacts. They're doing the big exploration stuff. Someone's got to come in behind them and either clean up their mess or start the d- diplomacy negotiations with the species that they encountered. Like they do a first contact. That's great. But then someone's got to come in and do the second contact and the diplomacy and the negotiations and the trade agreements and like all that bureaucratic stuff that may not play real well on TV because who cares? It's still got to get done, though. And like even we can see that with the modern governments, like ambassadors and governments and like all that stuff is really important. And it's not just the frontline people getting all the honor and the glory. It's like all those unsung heroes in the background putting the metal or putting the nose to the grindstone, getting the work done. So how does all that work, right? How does that work? And how does that work? And how can we present that in a way in the game to make it really cool and exciting so that a game master and a player could look at that, even if they haven't watched Lower Decks, they can look at that in the book and say, oh, wow, I could play a whole campaign on the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. And maybe you've read some of the short star- stories and novellas that they did with the Starfleet Corps of Engineers series of ebooks years ago that uh, Keith DeCanado edited. 
that was just a great, and of course, uh, Gomez, yeah, Sonia Gomez was in, that's a Lower Decks connection, right? Because she was in the yeah. episode of Next Gen, and she became a captain in Lower Decks. But, like, you could do a whole campaign on the SCE, and those are just very different stories than, oh, I'm going to go boldly explore all these different planets and stuff. It's like, no, I'm going to go, our crew is tasked with building this new starbase. <laughs> in this hotly contested section of space and you got Klingons and you got Romulans coming at you and you get all these personalities and stuff. And that's a very different feel of the game, but it fits into Star Trek because it's stuff that you know has to happen. Like you, you may see a star base in an episode kind of in the background and you probably just don't even think about it. But if you stop and pause it, you're like, wait a minute, they had to spend some time building that thing. And, and what did it take for them to build it? They probably had to negotiate with the people on the planet to get permission to build it. And then they had to probably be some trade agreements and like, what's in it for us if you're going to be building this important star base in orbit of our planet, right? What are we going to get out of it? There's always a back and forth, even if it's a moneyless society, right? And someone's got to do that grunt work of negotiations. And that's where a lower decks game could come in or even just a support style of game. Or you could play main characters like bridge officers in a support series as well. The RPG, I think just RPGs in general, just give us the opportunity to do deep dives into this kind of stuff to where, like I know when Michael Dismuke was writing the section in the Lower Decks book about all the different roles that a junior officer could play, right? Like whether it's a maintenance specialist or a yeoman or a, a clerk or something, it's like some of these jobs sound boring, but when you look at a bureaucracy and Starfleet is certainly a bureaucracy, they may not focus on it much in the show because bureaucracies are boring from a dramatic storytelling point of view, unless you're West Wing, of course, then it's super exciting. Those things have to be done by somebody and why not have it be your character doing that kind of stuff? Cause that could be a stepping stone to a more important job as they get promoted and work their way up the ranks or something. So we just try to pack as just as much cool stuff like that in there as we could, just to give people some ideas about the depth of possibility that's in Starfleet and then just give them ideas on like things that their characters could be doing. That isn't the traditional helmsman, chief engineer, chief of security, chief medical officer that we know and love from all the shows for the last 50 odd years. You are speaking our collective love languages, Jim, <laughs> because um, my job in the army was a 12 Bravo as a combat engineer. Yeah. So part mm -hmm. of the army Corps <laughs> of engineers, that's my thing. Yeah. In fact, I even watch YouTube videos on it because some different things that we're writing on now, mm -hmm. I wanted to grab some ideas from the job that I did for so many years. And when you mentioned West wing, I, Again, you're speaking Josh's love language. There. Yeah. That is his show. Seven you're seasons of a magical bureaucracy. I'm all over it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But you're also talking about the things that we have actually brought to our actual play because that's exactly what we're doing. We are mm. building a star base in a not hotly contested, but a relatively out there. And there are some challenges area of space. The very first mission that I ran was them fixing a communication satellite, mm -hmm. negotiating with the unions that work there and dealing and there just happened to be some shenanigans so they're dealing with some of those and some yeah. sabotage and talking yep. with the leaders of the neighboring planet and mm -hmm. that's actually where we started our, our thing and that's a lot of what our game is about while we're not necessarily first or second contact we are definitely about expanding the reach and breadth of the federation all of the little bureaucracies yeah. that go along with that but at the same time really exciting ways to show that. And this yeah. just gives us so many more tools. And mm. we're also all about writing stories that exist within the gaps. Like we literally just talked about this on our last episode where we were talking about the latest Dragonlance novel that just came out and how the games that we want to run, we want to put them within the gaps of what has been established. And so hearing mm -hmm. you talk about how you have that three-year gap now between 2379 and, 22, uh, and 2382, our actual play takes place in 2380. So we're doing the same thing. We're trying to go ahead and write a story that fills in that gap. That post-Dominion War era when the Federation is playing with its identity a little bit because... In war, things happen, and it, the Federation lost its way a little bit, and it's trying to get back. That's a subplot in the game that we're running, is that mm -hmm. it's trying to get back to what it views as its utopian ideal after having to do some things during the Dominion War that they may not be particularly proud of, right? And so we're trying to go ahead and play with both of those kind of temporal gaps, but also those kind of emotional gaps. Where are things heading? So hearing that you're on the same line there is fantastic. That's absolutely our meat and potatoes here. Yeah, totally. And I think part of that, a lot of it stems from me just being a lifelong Trek fan and a gamer, but it's also an element of the of the writer in me, right? Like I got my professional writing start because of Star Trek, so submitting short stories to the Strange New Worlds contest back in the late 90s and early zeros. And if you've read a lot of Star Trek novels, like 
the really good Star Trek novelists, that's exactly what they're doing with their books. They're filling in the blanks. They're bringing in all those secondary characters that you've seen on screen maybe once or twice, and they're blowing them up into full-blown main critical characters of their novels, and they're filling in all those little bits and pieces, like telling the stories that you that are conferred on screen, but you don't ever get to see them, but then they can tell it in the novel. I feel like the RPG and the novels are very similar wavelengths because the novels are telling stories, filling in those gaps. And then the RPG, we're providing you the, the context and the connective tissue to bring it together allow, and then allowing you to go tell those stories in your way. Certainly the novels are not canon, although some of them are fantastic. And I guess if you want to believe in headcanon, like some of those novels are absolutely headcanon for me because they're so good <laughs> sure. and they're yeah. so interesting. Zadi, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a lot of opportunity to, to really, I just love to hear that you're into the West Wing, Josh. Oh, and, that, yeah. and, and that you got the background in the combat engineers. Uh, that's just amazing. Because <laughs> yeah. that would be so cool. Like, like, I have a secret wish. Like, at some point, if I ever get some free time, I would love to run a campaign in the spirit of MASH in Star Trek oh, okay. during the war. Whether it's the Klingon War or it's yeah. the Dominion War or just like maybe even, like, one yeah. of the wars that we didn't, don't really see. And when we hear about it, like, like the whole thing with the, the Zenkethi or the Gorn okay. or even yeah. the Tholian yeah. War. Like, Absolutely. If there's a big war going on, Starfleet's going to have, yes. I mean, Starfleet's gonna see, have front mobile uh, medical centers yeah. going on. We see part of that in Strange New Worlds with Mbenga yes. and Chapel and, and everything like that. So I was like, very I think excited that, when I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> I was very excited. That, that'd be fantastic. And when you mentioned Corps of Engineers, Luminica, you like this. And it bridges us into the next thing that I wanted to go ahead and ask about is Captain's Log. And I'm we're kind of we're building out this battle group again on, on the edge of Federation space where ends and blah, blah, blah. I forget the whole scrawl that I have at the beginning. But basically, they're building out this battle group. You've got one, one admiral out there who is on a particular mission and gathering gathering people to him to go ahead and help him execute this particular mission. And he now needs a third ship in his battle group, which is on its way from Starbase 10. So it's like a three-month, four-month trip to get from where he from where the ship is. And so I'm running a captain's log journaling game on the background about the XO of that ship. Um, awesome. As you mentioned, the Corps of Engineers, you know, that he's going to have to run into the Corps of Engineers who are building out the space station for the Ferengi, who's now running the trade routes from, from this that we've introduced in the game. So it's like, all these things, I'm like, oh, he's going to have to run into them and figure out, have something to do with the Corps of Engineers on the other side there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that really, uh, man, it's just a couple of questions I want to go ahead and ask you. I'm trying to debate if I want to go ahead and stay on Lower Decks or if I want to jump over to Captain's Log. I'll stay on Lower Decks for now, actually. We have plenty so, of yeah. time, so go ahead. We may have to have you come back to go ahead and talk about Captain's Log. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we've leveled up our game and we're prepared to make your next role legendary. We've just started a partnership with FanRoll Dice, and they have over 300 product options to choose from. Gemstone, metal, new liquid core dice, and so much more. Better yet, listeners to the Tabletop Journeys podcast can get 10% off on their orders when they follow the link below and use discount code PODCAST10. A portion of these purchases come back to us, and this is a great way for you to help support the show. the big question and then but there's a question within the question that i really wanted to go ahead and dive into and right. the big question is what is it like we were talking about bureaucracies right what is it like writing and working within a bureaucracy that's the size of paramount with the, with the information with, with a, a product that has so much canon like star trek and and so many so much already established truth and everything like that what is it working within that framework and really the question that i, I want to know in there is lower decks being a product that's put out by the creators of rick and morty has topics that you don't see in your normal star trek book so mm -hmm. what's like the one thing that you threw into lower decks that you were surprised that you could actually get through? Wow, that's a great question. I don't feel like when we did Lower Decks, like when we got the license to Lower Decks, we were really excited because we knew we want, like as soon as we saw the first episodes, we knew we wanted to do something for Lower Decks. But new licenses take time, right? Because the legal stuff can take time. And so yeah, I think it was like almost two years, right? Before the series even came out, before we finally got the license. And uh, like all the writers and I we were like, yeah, let's do Lower Decks. And we were already talking about it well before we even got the license. We couldn't write anything, of course. But I think uh, we knew, or I knew, this was the singular opportunity to do a book that was 
not the same tone as all of our other stuff, right? We could get a little right. more goofy, a little more funny, a little more silly, still keep it Star Trek and still keep it very respectful and honor the franchise, just like Lower Decks does. It, but in addition, we wanted to make sure we added more stuff for the people who haven't actually watched the show and just want more great Star Trek material. We had to find a balance there, but that we could we could get away with more in this book than we could in other books, especially because the humor is so broad told the writers look this is your remit to get goofy especially michael dismuke he, he likes to write really funny stuff and i've had to rein him in a little bit in some of the previous <laughs> products that we've worked on because he would go a little too far and i'm like yeah, yeah we got to keep it pg-13 star trek network kind of level right, right, right. we can't go that far and i always told him like if we ever do a lower decks book you, we could probably get away with this and then finally we, it happened and i said okay michael gloves are off <laughs> go for it <laughs> and so we added a lot of stuff into the manuscript that was a little more beyond what you would normally see on star trek because that's what you can lower decks but i don't think there was any point where we went too far and then the and then paramount had to look at it and say oh wait you've gone a little too far i think the trickiest part of the of writing the manuscript and then getting it approved was mike mcmahon and his team of course were reviewing everything because of course it's their creation it's their thing they're very careful to make sure that it was reflective of what they were building in the series of course plus the series is in active production so they're building stuff that we can't even possibly know about because we're not read into the scripts or anything. So we don't know what sure. they're going to do until we see it on screen, just like everybody else. So we just had to just like make educated guesses. And there was a couple places in the manuscript where we did make educated guesses about where we thought they were going. And the notes were basically, you know, take that out, take this out, please edit this, <laughs> please trim this because the production team is going to be developing that in the next series. They didn't give us yeah. any more detail than that, other than to say, read between the lines. Your guess was correct, but we need you to cut it out of the book because the book will be out before the, before, before the before series. season three. Yeah, yeah. There were a couple of places where, especially with the badgy sidebars, like if you've read the book, we put it in a lot of sidebars <laughs> in there from Badgie's perspective. Badgie has very distinct personalities when he's like off the rails and then when he's like the normal virus, right? So like we had to really kind of like find his voice and his tone. And there were some places where the badgy sidebars went a little too far into the malicious <laughs> kind of realm. And there yeah. were some that were just a little too gentle. And so our, the notes we got back were like, okay, this is too much. Bring it back a little bit. This one's not far enough. You can bring it up a little bit. And so it was just a matter of tweaking the dials on each of the different sections of the manuscript to dial it into that right tone. And it yeah. took a little bit of work. I think this was the one manuscript that we've done over the last seven years that had the most significant amount of rewrites. And that sounds like a big deal, but when most of our manuscripts come back with like three notes, and it's usually like just typo stuff, it's like fix this grammatical error on page 38 or something. It's usually little stuff, but the notes we got on Lower Decks were a bit more significant, partly because we were still trying to dial in that right tone. And of course, the production team had been working on this series for three years. They had a really good idea of what the tone was, and they were seeing that some things weren't syncing up. So we worked with them on that and got it dialed in better. But I don't feel like we, I don't think we went too far anywhere. And we certainly didn't try to sneak anything past them because we're yeah. far too respectful of the property oh, sure. and the franchise to do that. And, and Paramount really, we have a great relationship with them. They love what we're doing and they understand how respectful we are. And they know that we're not going to try to sneak anything past them. So I, not to say that they've given us a, a long reach to get away with stuff, but uh, they, I mean, they, they analyze everything very carefully. They are super or detail oriented and they'll call us on the most minute details which boggles my mind but then it also makes me feel like i need to be doing better they find a little detail in a graphic or something that needs to be fixed and then i look at it and i'm like oh shoot how did i miss that i should have known better <laughs> darn it but now, I know, now i'll know for next time yeah but anyway so in answer to your question like we didn't write anything in the book that we weren't sure about wouldn't pass muster but we really tried to get into that that lower decks kind of spirit and feel but again still trying to find ways like what glenn was talking about earlier to make sure that even if you haven't even watched the show, you're still going to get a lot of benefit out of this book, especially like some of the tools we built in there, like the random tables and especially like the creature creation section. There's a whole yeah. there's a whole section in there about creating your own little beasts and monsters to throw at your characters. And it, it, you could put a lower decks kind of goofy, gross spin on it, or you could just play it perfectly straight and go make some horrible creatures to terrify and annoy your, your mainline kind of Star Trek crew. It's a great product. Yeah. Did I, get to your, did I get to your question, Josh? No, you did. No, totally. You absolutely did. <laughs> That's while I was secretly in my heart hoping for some little tidbit that you were like, let me go ahead and try this and see what happens here and kind of surprised that you got it in. But your answer absolutely makes sense. The fact that the way that you're handling the material is so deliberate, like you're really trying to go ahead and make sure that, that you're being very diligent about the material. You're really doing your homework and making sure that, that you're covering it correctly not just appropriately yeah. but correctly too so yeah your answers really make sense yeah 
As a lifelong Star Trek fan, I feel that this game, what you've done, what Modifius has put together and the baton that you picked up and have been carrying, you've been wonderful caretakers of my fandom. Yeah. I think that's that that is the truest thing I can say. And I true and I too played FASA back in the day, didn't find it quite enough. Wasn't or, a fan either. Try to corral GURPS to make FASA work. Couldn't get that to work. Tried so many different ways to make something work. Last Unicorn Games was close. It wasn't quite there. Saying, um, I have the Last Unicorn game like within reach of my station yeah, here. Yeah, like, um, that's a game that I know and love. That's the one I played the most of. Yeah. yeah, and then Decipher. I thought Decipher was a step back from Last Unicorn Game, and that's not meant as a disparagement. That's just a player who who said, I really enjoyed this product. And when I first became aware of this game, and I think I've actually mentioned this to you, Jim, is that my biggest fear was, am I going to be stepping back or at least be as good as Last Unicorn Games? And to my wonderful surprise, far surpassed anything I could have imagined the game to be. As a game, as a just a tabletop game in the mechanics, light years ahead of anything that has come before because it's based on the narrative. Its ability to mirror the shows we watch and be mechanically supported to do, unlike anything I've seen for Star Trek before. Take note, other IP franchises, you need to find a system that helps you achieve that goal. And I'm not saying that this is that system for every IP, but it's certainly the perfect system for this IP. And I hope that never changes because I just enjoy it. Like, I feel... Star Trek. I can just as easily watch an episode on TV, run a session, go back to watching it, and I've had an entire day of of Star Trek. No one piece of that feels any different than the other. Whereas before, it just felt like a different thing. It just felt different. This feels in all the right ways the same. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I think you have to put a lot of that praise right squarely on Nathan Dowdell's shoulders. He was the system developer for 2D20. He's the one who was the primary developer back in 2016 when we were first starting on the book. There were a lot of writers on the book and we were writing all the fluff and all the stuff around the mechanics, right? But Nathan really did the lion's share of the work on the actual mechanics of the game, making it 2D20, making it narrative, really baking in Star Trek into the mechanics and adapting the 2D20 system specifically to Star Trek, just like he did with Conan and Dune and just all the other versions of 2D20 that are out there so i just i, I want to make sure that we give plenty of kudos to, to nathan because yeah. without nathan this game would be i can't even imagine what this game would look like without his initial hard hard work on the on the core book yeah and then we, just, we just built from there basically but he did all the heavy lifting at the very beginning yeah, we did uh, several episodes about the core rules, and or not even so much the core rulebook, but like mechanically, how does the 2D20 system work, introducing mm-hmm. it to our audience. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we noted at that time is that, in particular, the threat and momentum mechanics that you have, that kind of in-game currency that you can use to go ahead and push narrative one way or the other, that players have access to it, storytellers have access to it, everybody kind of pushes and pulls on that same spectrum. Such an effective mechanic. A couple of years ago for Halloween, we did a roll through of the Free League version of Aliens, which kind of had that mm, same that kind time. of stress mechanic where players mm. could could exceed their normal abilities by stressing themselves out a little bit, which is, that's what Aliens is all about. It's all about, so it's like, and as players get stressed, it becomes easier to to be more stressed and it becomes easier to have complications that arise from that stress, right? So it's like, it's, it's like this monster that feeds itself after a while. And that had been the best mechanic for this type of thing that I had seen until I found the 2D20 mechanic with the threat momentum. And so now it's like, now I'm starting to go ahead and take Aliens plot lines. Like we're, I'm planning a game for Halloween this year where it's an alien-esque plot line, but in the 2D20 system. So I can go ahead nice. and play with that threat and momentum mechanic a little bit. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. But that yeah. So well-deserved kudos. Yeah. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. And all of those kudos, since we decided to stick with the Lower Decks topic for this episode, lead well into my next question, which is, in the Lower deck system, we've heard plenty of fanfare, plenty of praise coming from myself and my two co-hosts, just based on our experiences with the game and our reactions to it from our many years of role-playing. And I'm betting that the answer to my question is going to run on a similar vein, but I'm curious, how has your overall, how has the overall fan response been? Because you've done a lot to stay true to the Star Trek canon and the history and filled in blanks. And what you've filled in has been filled in well, we think. 
So overall in general, but lower decks because it recently came out and it's a very popular new show. What kind of response have you been seeing from the fan base in terms of what you and Modifius have put together and turned out to represent their show? Yeah, I think uh, by and large, the response to the Lower Decks book has been positive, like very positive, especially from people who already are fans of the show. If you're a fan of Lower Decks, it's very easy to transition over to the RPG into the RPG book and say, oh, yeah, obviously, if I'm a fan of the show, I'm going to love this book. Um, But uh, I don't know what it is about modern Star Trek fandom, but there is like this core of I don't want to say detractors, but they find ways to neg on everything. They hate Discovery for whatever reason. They hate Lower Decks for whatever reason. They hate everything except Strange New Worlds, it seems like, is, is the one thing that they don't hate. But it's, it's impossible to get them to change their mind and to even look at something, even though when they're talking online and you're like, you're hearing what their concerns are. It's like, have you even looked at the book? Like the stuff that you're talking about, it's in there. You just got to look past the cover, look past the fact that Mariner and, uh, and Boimer are on the cover or like for the Discovery, you look past the fact that uh, Burnham's the main character of Discovery. If you look past that and you look at the contents of the book, then you might actually enjoy it. So like we, we certainly had our share of detractors about the Lower Decks book and about discovery and i think like reading their comments and then reading between the lines it's not about the book itself it's not about the game itself it's about their dislike for the series and it's really hard to change somebody's mind once they're entrenched like that and you just have to let it go because it's i could be catty and say where is your itic what happened to your itic like how can you not love everything star trek because that's baked right into the whole franchise right but then i have to remember it's 56 years there's star trek for everybody you may not like lower decks but maybe you love original series maybe you are a big voyager fan and you can't stand ds9 whatever that's fine watch the stuff you love be excited about the stuff you love and let other people enjoy the things that they enjoy and don't be negative about it just there's a what's that mem or what's that meme out there it's okay for other people to like things and you don't have to talk about how much you don't like it share the things you enjoy don't share your negativity because no one especially in this world right this world is crazy dark right now in a lot of different ways in all kinds of different spectrums like we don't need more negativity (laughs) on top of everything else that's going on let's find a little bit of positivity here and the fans that are enjoying lower decks and and grokking what we're trying to do with the system and in the the game like they're really digging lower decks and they're they're digging on captain's log too i know we're not going to talk about captain's log tonight but by and large and and that ship has sailed (laughs) (laughs) that's okay that's okay anyway so long-winded answer to your question and i apologize uh, overall f- response has been very positive we had a great pre-order run on it we sold a lot of it's not it's not about sales of course but uh, the pre-order numbers were surprisingly good and then we we had it at gen con it sold out at gen con that was great captain's log sold out at gen con too that's beside the point so fan response really positive and i'm really curious to see what happens when the new season starts next week because season four comes out yep. next week and uh, that that might help or it might not help. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. But so far, anyway, it seems to be a, another positive for uh, for us in the STA world. I wouldn't it listen is. too much to the detractors either. And it sounds like y'all aren't, which is great. Because <laughs> unfortunately, when you have a fandom that the fan base is so passionate about, like Star yeah. Trek, no matter what, you're going to get people at both ends of the spectrum. That's a great point. I was going to say, I, I try my best, and though sometimes I fail, Josh will often try to rein me in, or sometimes I'm reining him in. <laughs> I try not to get into those back and forth kind of debates and arguments with people when they're saying, oh, I don't like it because of this or because of that, and because that never works. The only thing I will try to do on occasion is make a separate comment, not a response comment, about why I think it's good versus responding to an individual when they're talking about why they think something is not good. Because I always keep in the back of my mind, it's never about the person who is entrenched. It's about all the people standing around them looking and who are afraid to speak up that may have a question. And I'm always in my head trying to answer that question or speak to that person, not the entrenched person that I can't move. If someone's immovable, they are immovable. All the people around them, they probably want to get away from them. And if I can help steer them in in, in a different direction, I will be happy to do that every day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Luanica, next question. 
All right. So we probably only have time for one more question. So I'm, make it a good I'm, one. Yeah, no pressure, kid. Make it count, right? That's all you got. <laughs> You're one shot. You're one shot. I was hoping you could give us a little insight without spoilers on the mini campaign that's also part of Lower Decks. The ninth chapter is about that mini campaign. You've got four missions here that are in the game, and I really kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that and uh, how that incorporates. Do you think it's a great place for folks to start mm-hmm. overall, or do you th- what are your thoughts? thoughts on the mini campaign that's within the book yeah i don't want to spoil it but i think the three episodes of the mini campaign that are in the back of the book are are written entirely from the point of view of lower decks characters so the expectation is that you're playing the junior officers as opposed to the senior bridge staff and i think it would be a great way to, to introduce people into the game but also into star trek especially if they're not that familiar with the franchise because it's like they're lower stakes kind of stories the fate of the galaxy doesn't hinge on every decision that the characters make in those episodes so there's still meaningful a lot of fun stuff to do and one of them in particular but the a newer player coming into the game who may not know star trek that well may not know how starfleet operates all that stuff could still have a lot of fun because there's not as much pressure on them to make the big decisions that like a Picard or a Janeway would make maybe. So I think it would be a great on-ramp for new players and people just wanting to get familiar with the game. They were written like they're not, they're not super advanced stories. And not to say that we simplified them by any means, but like the mechanics in there will help you learn the game. Right. But we didn't specifically write them as a learning tool, but they're not so complicated that you're going to be sitting there. Like, I don't even know what to do now. They're asking for complicated challenges and really long extended tasks and that kind of stuff. We tried to keep it more, more measured so that people could get in there and have fun with it. But again, I just didn't want to spoil it because I think people should try to have fun and, and check it out. But I think if you were to take the recent mission brief pack that we released for Starfleet Academy, like maybe if you were to use that as your starting ground, to get some of your new characters and new players up to speed on Starfleet, work their character through the life path, and then jump into Lower Decks and have them play that that Lower Decks mini campaign as like Ensigns and Lieutenant JGs. I think that would be a really awesome way to start building those characters, like their backstories and their histories, and then watch as they grow from or from there if they if they do. Maybe they just stay junior officers for a long time. <laughs> uh, but the one funny anecdote about those three mini campaigns is one of them... Uh, and we were writing this book before season three came out, right? So we didn't know what was going to happen in season three. And we were finalizing the development of the book as season three was starting to air last year. And when the episode in season three came out, when the main characters are playing the Klingon RPG with Martok <laughs> as the game master, right? Yes. We saw that and I threw my hands up and I was like, oh no, what are we going to do? Because one of the episodes, this will be a little bit of a spoiler, one of the episodes in the one of the three pieces of the mini campaign is very much focused in the D and D esque. It has a lot of D and D esque stuff in it. And I had that moment of, Oh no, people are going to read this and they're going to think we directly ripped off of lower decks as a Klingon RPG, but we didn't because it was, we were done with the manuscript before that episode came out. So it was just like two ships crossing in the night, but it's just like goofy, funny stuff like that's folded in there. So I hope that's a have- great, that's a great statement of how much you have your finger on the pulse yeah. of yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. 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 When we saw that, when I saw that episode, I just, I was like, oh my gosh, they totally went there. And of course, I should have realized that that's what they were going to do because we were actually able to, Mike McMahon was gracious enough to take some time and write the foreword to the book. And in that foreword, he talks about his RPG experience and his D&D experience playing a bard in a tavern or something. And something in that was like, oh, he plays D&D. I should have known. And then, of course, <laughs> he brought it into the series. And I was like, oh, man, they got to it before we could. So <laughs> it, it all worked out, though. But, yeah, you're absolutely right, Glenn. We just got we got lucky feeling like we knew we were on the same wavelength with them. And then we were able to fold it into the book and, uh, and just make it work. So it was just fun to, uh, to pull it all together. Nice. Excellent. Well, yeah. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the upside, it seems like they have both. The harder, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the adage? The harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not to totally derail it too, but like that, the whole Klingon role playing game that they were playing there. Such a great statement about the use of AI technologies in modern gaming mm. right now. It's such an mm. interesting way to go ahead and put that. So the fact that there are parallels there it really adds a kind of a sense of a sense of today into this game that's taking place in the future. Yeah, I have to admit though, I'm willing to bet Mike McMahon 
probably played that old Next Generation VHS game where oh, Robert O'Reilly That's a deep cut. Played, yes. Where Robert O'Reilly played a Klingon that wasn't Gowron, but was clearly yeah, him yeah, with yeah. his eyes right. playing that, that game where you had to queue it up and you had yep. to play certain sections of the VHS tape along with the oh, game. Oh, yeah. Because uh, so, that was, it was so fun. I mean, you can go watch clips on YouTube if yeah. you're really curious about it. Yeah. But that, uh, yes, that's it, it, it's like the old VHS clue game too. That was yes. like, that, like, that's like the game of my youth. All right, Jim, it's hard to believe that an hour has already gone by, man. This has been fantastic. Thank you so very much for taking some time this evening to talk with us. If our readers want to f- learn more about Star Trek adventures and specifically about the work that you're doing with them, how do they find you and how do they find, uh, they can go to their game store in theory and find Star Trek adventures, but how do they find what you're doing? Yeah, go to Modifius.net, or if you're in the United States, go to Modifius.us. Those are the two web stores. All the main content is on Modifius.net, and that's where you can find the blogs and the free downloads and the resources and all that stuff. There are lots of social media channels for Star Trek Adventures, either official or unofficial. I'm on all of them, so I'm not going to be hard to find at all. (laughs) Um, I'm on Twitter at at scribe underscore Anetti. I am on the Modifius Discord, on the unofficial Facebook group, on the unofficial subreddit. There's still Modifius forums floating out there. There's a few other places out there that I hang out from time to time. I've been a longtime RPG.net member, even mm-hmm. though forum technologies have starting to look a little outdated. But <laughs> being a Gen Xer, I prefer them because Discord stream of consciousness, I just can't oh. keep up with it. It's so hard for me to keep track of conversations on Discord these days. But yeah. I like threaded conversations on forums. Like it's old school and it makes sense yep. to me and I can understand it and I can feel it. But yeah, so if you are into Star Trek Adventures at all and you find any of those social media channels, you're going to find me one way or another. I'll be talking incessantly about the game because I'm super passionate about the game and the franchise. And I want to do everything I can to share it with people and get them excited about playing the game. In fact, I don't even care if you buy it. They'll get the free quick start. That's all you need. The free quick start and some dice and you're off and running with Star Trek. So hopefully you get, hopefully you check it out, ask me questions, but especially, and I want to just make sure I say thank you to the fans because uh, Luanika, you alluded to this earlier, how awesome that Facebook group is. I am super, super excited to see that the fan base of this game are so supportive of each other on their own. Like they're not getting prompted from the company or from anybody else to go do it. Paramount's not telling them, hey, why don't you be supportive? It's just the fans taking it upon themselves to support other fans and new fans as they're coming into the game. And that's just, that's gravy right there. Because like you, you can't put Absolutely. a value on that because it's the fans supporting each other and supporting themselves and growing this game at the grassroots. And, and I try to honor that with every product that we come out with just to make it better and better to give people more tools. So I'm grateful for the fans every day for everything that they're doing to support the, uh, to support the game. We're certainly doing what we can over here. We, uh, showed us STA back at the beginning of the year when our actual play got derailed a little bit by the whole Wizards of the Coast OG Elker fluffle. STA very nicely fit into that niche and we've been riding that train ever since and loving it. That's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> like right. I, I knew when we got it, when it came out, this is gonna this is gonna be my yeah. thing. And I was just waiting for that opening, and as soon as that opening hit, I'm like, now facetious and say any way to chip away at that market share and to pull people from one game <laughs> to another game is a win. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. ultimately, like the hobby is big enough for everybody. Even though Wizards yeah. of the Coast is the big eight hundred pound behemoth, everyone's playing D and D, that's okay. But there's tons of other games out there to play, not just Star yeah. Trek, not just Modifius stuff. Especially with the wealth of uh, itch itchio indie indie RPGs out there these days. Go check those out because there's just yeah. so much great stuff out there as a gamer right now. Yeah. Sure is. All right. So let's see. Next week on the channel here, what do we got? So on Tuesday, we will be wrapping up episode six of our Star Trek Preservations actual play. So that's that's very exciting. And then uh, shortly after that, so that's going to be the, uh, I get to run three episodes in a row and that's the first of the three. So that's going to be, uh, so this will be, yeah, this will be a little exciting. mini arc. A little mini arc. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then on Friday of next week, we actually get to go ahead and sit down and talk about ourselves because our second Kickstarter is going to be starting later in the month. So we're going to be taking an episode to talk about what's going to be in that kickstarter and what we have coming up for you it's going to be a ton of fun we're aiming for system agnostic for the most part lore heavy book this time around and we're really looking forward to sharing that with you guys next week awesome good luck Uh, with that yeah, thank you. Last year's Kickstarter was very successful. We did, we kind of hit exactly what we wanted to. We learned a lot. I don't know if you've ever done any crowdfunding campaigns like that. I learned not. a lot. <laughs> I, think, I think the biggest lesson that I learned is that I can't, I am not a one man house. I cannot do it all by myself. So I'm making sure mm-hmm. to include these two, these two fine folks more in the process so that I don't decide to go ahead and jump off a bridge. Jim, thank you very much for coming on again. Really appreciate you taking your time here on a late Tuesday night. Thanks so thanks. much, everybody. Really appreciate you having me on. And I can't wait to come back and talk about something else. 
Absolutely. Uh, we will talk about Captain's Log. <laughs> so have a good night. Yeah, be well. Night, everybody. IDIC, y'all. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, we would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends await.